but welcome back to Base Camp and to the special series on suffering. Now, throughout these episodes over the last two weeks, we've spent a number of these episodes looking at suffering in general. Right? We, we've discussed suffering that comes from living in a fallen world, suffering that comes from God's loving discipline, and suffering that even comes into our lives from our own folly. And as we've done so, we've considered the fact that suffering tempts us primarily to think wrongly about who God is. That's, that's one of the greatest things that it does. right? When our view of, of God is skewed, what, what then happens is that our trust often falls on things other than him. right? Whether that be we turn inwards to trust in ourselves, outwards to trust in other people, or we turn to trust a number of different escapes like technology or food or drink or a host of other places. Thus, as we've mentioned throughout this study, especially in our sufferings, we are experiencing a fight for faith, a fight that we cannot win without the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the people of God. But it's also a fight that, by God's grace, can be one of the most profound platforms that we have to glorify God. So today, we need to narrow our focus a bit and consider a specific type of suffering, a type of suffering that is unique to being a follower of Jesus, and that is persecution. So, let's dive in. Now, when you think of persecution for the gospel, what kinds of things do you think of? Now, one of the first things might be those old Jesus Freak books that came out in the 90s. Do you guys remember that? Are you old enough to remember that? <laughs> There's these, it's these books of stories of martyrs that died for their faith. So, so in this, in, in thinking about uh, some persecution of the gospel and this kind of more extreme side of that, we, we might think of martyrs dying for their faith, right? We might think of men like Jim Elliot. And if you're unfamiliar with that story, let me just tell you of this wonderful brother and the sacrifices that he and his family and his team made for the sake of the gospel. So back in 1955, a team was assembled and sent out to reach the Ecuador's Wyodani Indians with the gospel. Five men comprised of Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming, Nate Saint, and Jim Elliott. Compelled by Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations, these men and their families had uprooted their lives from the U.S. with a passion to see those who'd never heard of Christ come to worship him and find forgiveness in him. And the Wayudani Indians were of those first groups that lived in the middle of the jungle and had never heard of the gospel that they, that they went to share Jesus with. All right, so as the move into this new area involved transitioning from air-conditioned homes to huts built in treetops, fighting insects, disease, and a host of other challenges. And one of the greatest challenges that they had was figuring out how to contact and communicate with this tribe that had a reputation for being violent towards outsiders. Now, eventually, the men built a base a short distance from the Indian village and made friendly contact with one of the Wayodani Indians. Now, what the missionaries did not know, however, was that the friendly contact was a scout who had informed ten warriors to meet them at their base and kill all five of the missionaries with speeders. So their tragic death came as a result of being followers of Jesus who were simply trying to share the gospel among the nations with the least reached peoples. And as a result of, of all of this uh, happening, these, these men dying, laying down their lives literally to share the gospel, tragic suffering, this persecution that happened as a result of this, 
then seeing his family continue to serve and reach out to this tribe throughout the oncoming years, this is exactly what happened, that the blood of these martyrs were the seed of the gospel that allowed the gospel to flourish in this, in this area that was previously unreached as people came to know, love, trust, and believe upon Jesus. And it's stories like this where we really think through suffering and persecution. But what I want to process through is this, is that, that is, is suffering, persecution on account of the word, is this something that's reserved only for radical Christians like Jim Elliott and that team, the kind of green beret type of Christians? Or is this kind of suffering something that is intrinsic to being a Christian? Now, to do that, we're going to begin with a definition. So we'll look at first, what is persecution? So let's look at what the Bible says about persecution. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now, this is Jesus saying this, and this is important because the persecution that Jesus speaks about is the kind that comes because of your connection to Jesus, right? Those words, on my account. Right, so specifically, we see that the expectation is that people are reviling and persecuting disciples of Christ, you and I. Specifically, is they are uttering all kinds of evil against you, and they're doing it falsely. So they're speaking evil against you, and they are false accusations, intentionally geared at reviling and harming you in various ways. Thus, we should expect this as Christians, and while we should be blameless in how we live, there are those who simply will revile, persecute, and speak all kinds of evil against us simply because of our connection to Christ and our desire to live for him and to live out our identity as Christians. Thus, there's a way that we can live in such a way that people, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers wouldn't look at us and say, that person's a Christian and they live this way? No, no, they, they will recognize righteousness in us, but they will hate us and look for all kinds of things to revile persecute and speak all kinds of evil against us simply because of our connection to Christ and our desire to live for him. Now, why is this something that we face? Well, we see in John chapter 15, 19, we see Jesus say, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So the world hates us because he chose us out of the world and made us his own. So persecution can involve people speaking evil things about you, and it can include all-out hatred for you. We also read in 1 Peter 4, 3 and 4, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. We talked about this a lot in our first Peter series uh, called Exiles about a year and a half ago. Uh, but from this, we, we can see that persecution can include being mocked or slandered. And that word malign there carries with it defamation, speaking irreverently or impiously or even disrespectfully of us. So this, these are things we can expect as Christians, especially when we don't join in with the world around us. In Luke 21.12, we, we read, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Thus, persecution can include being betrayed and delivered over to officials for punishment by the state. 
something that we've seen in COVID-era days, even right here in Canada. And into the future, we will continue to see things like this as a church as we take stands on the Bible's definition of sexuality, gender, and marriage. And then if we were to open up to Acts chapter 22, verse 4, we'd read Paul talking about how he persecuted the church before his conversion. He said, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. Thus, persecution can include being killed. Therefore, as we scan the scriptures, even just briefly, even right now, I mean, there's more scriptures we could go to, but even just briefly with this smattering of, of texts, we can define Christian persecution generally as opposition or harassment that comes because we are Christians. Right? So opposition or harassment that comes because we are Christians. And this persecution fleshes itself out through things like opposition or harassment. It includes things like being hated, mocked, slandered, betrayed, or even killed. Now, one reason that persecution is unique is because it comes with a choice, right? A choice that many of us have experienced in greater ways in the last few years, and the choice is this. Are we going to live our lives as Christians, or are we going to renounce Christ? Are we going to are we going to go along with our business when they demand that we celebrate Pride Month? Or, or, or are we are we going to peaceably and quietly abstain, knowing that we cannot in good conscience do so? Or are we going to teach that curriculum to kids or employees that we deem harmful and inappropriate? Or are we going to make shady business deals? I mean, the list could go on and on, right? Or, or are we going to remain faithful to God's Word and live as His people? These are real choices with real consequences. And it's, it's easy to simply say nothing, go along with the crowd, keep our heads down. See, Christian persecution is unique because if we renounce Christ, then we would not have any of this persecution. It, it comes, this persecution comes because we are seeking to follow Christ. It comes because we stick our heads up and say, no, I'm not going to do that. So because of that, that is what brings this persecution on to us. We, we could say nothing, but then we would not be standing on what we believe to be true as Christians. See, this kind of persecution comes because of certain decisions that we make based on conviction. And thinking about that, I, I, was, I was wondering about many, even in our church, that, of how many of us have experienced the fear of or the actuality of a loss of promotion because of your refusal to lie to a customer like your boss asked you? Or how many of you have had family disown you for becoming a Christian or the fears around that? Or peers that ridicule your decision to trust in Christ as an intellectual weakness? I think about how many of us have lost friendships because we refuse to indulge in what non-Christian peers do. Or, or worse, when your Christian friends have things like drinking parties and you don't want to be a part of that nonsense either because that's not who you are now in Christ. right? Or something I've been walking with the awareness of even the last two years as we were meeting illegally for so long as a church. In fact, one of the reasons why Samantha and I went to, uh, when we were in the States, oh man, a year and nine months ago and almost didn't come back was people that believed what we believe were being thrown into jail for leading their churches to gather when it was illegal. 
And as an immigrant, a real fear that I had <laughs> was, all right, so I could come back, I could preach and lead and meet illegally, and then I could get kicked out of the country that I gave up everything in order to plant my life in and share the gospel with. Right, And, and that could be true if you're an immigrant as well. Or what if even in an extreme case, you're even targeted by others that are opposed to Christianity and you lose your life for it? Now, all of these are examples of experiencing persecution in any number of these ways. Persecution is not just the extreme of you're going to die or we get thrown into jail. There's, There's suffering and there's persecution that leads all the way up into that. And they are all persecution. And they all lead to real suffering in our lives. And the call for us is to persevere, to persevere under persecution, recognizing the evil intent of those around us and yet seeing God's purposes in and through suffering. I mean, let's review what purposes we see in persecution. So, so persecution grows us in holiness. We saw that in Psalm 119, 67. Persecution builds perseverance, Romans 5, 3. Grows us in maturity, James 1, 2, 4. Teaches us his word, Psalm 119, 71. Helps us encourage others, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. And it weans us off of self-reliance, 2 Corinthians 1, 8, and 9. And those purposes are all important, but let's just focus on two overarching uh, purposes and thoughts for the rest of this episode that will help us persevere under persecution. And the first is the reminder from God's word that persecution is a normal part of being a Christian. It's not just for radical Christians, it's for all of us. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.12 explains, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So who will be persecuted? All Christians who desire to live a godly life. All of us. Why? Because following Christ is countercultural. Right, when Jesus came on the scene, it was like the light was turned on after a long period of darkness. And by nature, we all hate the light and love darkness. We see that in John 3. It, it, and it's, it's kind of like how we experience hatred of light in the middle of the night, right? You think about you're, you're sleeping, then all of a sudden the lights get turned on and we just revile the light. We're like, ah, turn off the light, right? Likewise, that is our fallen disposition to the gospel apart from a work of God's grace. And it's exactly what we are experiencing as we seek to share the light of the gospel with others. So we need to expect that there will be pushback as we seek to be faithful. We also see Paul explain in Galatians 5.11, he said, but if I, brothers still preached circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. So as long as we tell other the gospels, or the gospel, right, that they that they fundamentally are not good people, rather they are rebels who rebel against God's law. So secondly, we, we tell them then that they are unable to do anything to save themselves, and because of their sin, they deserve an eternity future suffering under God's judgment against their sin. And then thirdly, that their only hope for forgiveness before God is that they need to repent from their sins and believe upon Jesus, right? He is their only help. And as long as we tell others the truth, there will always be offense. Now, we might wonder, well, okay, if if persecution is a normal part of our Christian life as we're trying to live holy lives, right? Something to be expected and normal for us. Well, if I'm not facing persecution currently, does that mean I'm not being a faithful Christian? Well, not necessarily, but it is worth examining. Right? Are, are there areas where you aren't opening your mouth and sharing the gospel with others? Are you refraining from sharing the offensiveness of the gospel with others? 
Are, are you opening up your life in your home to those who are far from Jesus with that intent to share your life in the gospel with them because they become dear to you, as we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2? Also, a good question to ask yourself is if you're avoiding things like evangelism, sharing the gospel, sharing your life with others so that you can share the gospel, are you avoiding doing that because of the cost? But I also want us to know that there are a number of examples in Scripture where faithful Christians were in a season, note, season of peace. Right? Paul had times when he knew plenty in times of need. In many of us, if we were to be polled in February 2020, right, if we, we, if we were asked if we ever experienced, uh, you know, any kind of persecution for our faith, we might say that there would maybe be, be some people in our neighborhoods or office spaces that don't like us because we try to share the gospel with them, but, but not really, right? And yet, right, we were in a, kind of maybe a season of peace, but, but we've experienced the church at war in the last few years in ways that we never have here in Canada before. So there are seasons of peace and there are waves or seasons of times when persecution will be greater, right? Seasons of peace, seasons of, of not peace, <laughs> right? times when persecution will come from outside of the church and, and also times when persecution will come from within the church, especially as we're sharing the gospel and applying the gospel into one another's lives because very quickly it becomes don't, don't point out the sins in my life and then trying to find ways to poke and hit and prod back at one another all because we don't want to focus on what God is doing in our lives and in our hearts with the gospel. It's like I see this with my children all the time and, and in my Advent reading it was talking about that even earlier today that we all have this this self-justifying law court in our own hearts that always want to validate ourselves. And so if someone comes and, and talks to us about something or tries to correct us in something, immediately we just want to fight back and make the other person the issue and the problem. We, we want to look at the speck in their own eye when we have a log sticking right out of ours, don't we? I have this heart in me, don't you? And so we'll face that. We'll experience persecution from outside of the church and we'll have actually persecution from within the church. Paul warns the Ephesian elders of this. That there would even be some who would arise even among the elders who are those who try to lead astray God's people after false gospels, right? So if we're striving to be faithful to sharing the gospel in our lives with others and, and we aren't currently experiencing suffering, then, then we might just be in one of those seasons of peace. However, even in seasons of peace, we need to have a willingness and a readiness to suffer as Christians, and we need not be surprised when it happens. The second reminder from God's word that we need to remember is that our suffering through persecution encourages other Christians to remain faithful during suffering, and it glorifies God. Right, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Isn't that funny? I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh... I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now, first question you should ask is, what in the world does it mean to fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Well, it does not mean that we add anything to the atonement. No, his atonement lacks nothing that we bring to it. We know from John 19.30, it is finished. We know from Hebrews 10.14, because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So his 
Uh, atonement is not lacking at all, but what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ is not that they are deficient in worth, as though they could not sufficiently cover over the sins of all who believe, but what is lacking is that the infinite value of Christ's afflictions is not known and trusted in the world. And, and when we suffer for Christ and suffer well, it leaves a watching world asking how we can have hope in those circumstances. Right? The, the, thus, even in our own suffering, our own sufferings encourage other Christians to remain steadfast. And as they do, God is glorified in our suffering and in the suffering of other Christians as they imitate our faith. Right? As we fill up the afflictions of Christ, we put them on display for them to be tangibly seen in our lives. And as we do so, people understand the gospel in greater ways as they see glimpses of what God has done for them. Right? So we can rejoice in our sufferings, even in our persecution, because we are able to put on display the gospel in greater ways to strengthen Christ's church. Thus, suffering strengthens the entire church. It makes us more resolved and confident in the gospel. And that's why Peter, in 1 Peter, talks about our sufferings and how we live in a pagan society. And he explains to Christians that we need to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Right, which, which then brings us to a really important question for us as we walk through persecutions of various kinds. And here it is. How can I be faithful as a Christian under persecution? That, that should be the question that we're asking. How can I be faithful as a Christian under persecution? How, how can I respond in a way that honors God and glorifies Him as I suffer at the hands of others? Well, 1 Peter 3.15, which we just read, is helpful. We, we need to, in our hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Right? Thus, as we suffer and are tempted to view God in wrong ways, we need to bring our minds to conformity with God's word and not think him cold or distant or uncaring. We need to remember as well his character and nature and, and not trust in counterfeit gods for our consolation in times of suffering. But we also need to respond in gentleness and respect when we are reviled by others. Having a good conscience, as we read in verse 16, and let the Lord be the one to defend us. Don't feel like you need to strive to constantly defend yourself, which we are prone to doing. Rather, entrust yourself to God. Also in this fight for faith, we need to rely on others. We need to trust those around us to pray for us, encourage us, exhort us, preach to us, strengthen us. We, we, we are not self-sufficient. We need our Christian brothers and sisters to join with us. And ultimately, our aim is that God is glorified through this difficult time and how we respond. Right? As we suffer, are we, are we doing so where we are trusting God to provide and lead and defend? Or are we trying to do all of these things on our own? And that's a hard question because isn't that most what we want to do? That law, that law court inside of our own hearts trying to justify ourselves and provide for ourselves and lead ourselves? When we suffer, we suffer, it's one of the hardest times to trust that God is going to provide and that God is going to lead and God is going to defend us, especially when people are speaking maliciously about us or, or angrily or trying to defame us or, or various other things. So are we letting God do this for us or are we trying to do all of that on our own? Are we trusting the Spirit or are we trusting ourselves? And one of those stunning things to notice from Colossians 1.24 is how Paul rejoiced in his suffering. Like, 
rejoicing in your suffering. Like, how is that possible, right? Like, is, is he simply masochistic and loves suffering? Well, no, no. R- rather, he knew the character and nature of God. He trusted in God's sovereign hand to end suffering whenever he desired. And yet, that Paul, that he was walking through this suffering meant that God had ordained it for it to pass. God had ordained for it. Thus, the confidence that that God was using this suffering in his life for good purposes shaped how he views everything that he was walking through. Right, so let's chat about three things that we can be reminded of that help us imitate his faith, that we might see, even through the pages of God's word, his faith, and my prayer is that it might embolden us, that he might fill up the afflictions of Christ for us and be an example for how we can have joy even in suffering. Right, so here are three ways that we can have joy. One, we can rejoice by keeping our eyes fixated on the future kingdom, right? That there is a reward for suffering that we will experience, right? So firstly, we, we receive the word reward for Jesus' suffering, our salvation. Because of that, we labor in such a way to win the prize, right? We labor on in weakness and rejoicing because we know where we are headed as God's people, right? So just as Paul suffered in weakness, the gospel was always fixed as his anchor and steadfast hope. Secondly, we can rejoice in a greater assurance than the one that this world offers. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, notice the reason why Peter says trials have come. They come to prove the genuineness of your faith. Thus, we grow the most, not through times of comfort, but through times of suffering. And our suffering reminds us that we have a place of genuine assurance that is much greater than any other that this world offers. And then thirdly, we rejoice in an unchanging God. So as we've talked about in these episodes, there are times when we can't see or understand the reason why God allows a specific instance of suffering. But one thing we can know, one thing that never changes, is the character of the God who is sovereign over all things, including our suffering. Right? There is no clearer place to look to see the heart of God than the cross. It's there where we gain the assurance of who He is and why we can be sure we can trust Him. Right? Listen to Romans 8, 31 and 32. It says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? All right, so as we are wrapping up this episode, I, I want to cast our minds back to the beginning of this episode. I want us to think about the story of those five missionaries. Was there, was their suffering a waste? Was it a waste? Right, Jim Elliott one of the missionaries who was killed by the Wayudani Indians is the one who wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Right? He lived that way and died that way. And as a result of their blood being spilt and the faithfulness of their wives, who traveled back to the village and shared the gospel with the very men who killed their husbands, men like Min Kay, as well as others from that tribe, heard the gospel. They saw it lived out in the love of these women, these women, and, and they gave their lives to Jesus. They saw the suffering of these men that died, the, the blood that spilled out, and yet they saw the grace and the kindness of these women who were 
even in suffering, would come and minister and share the gospel with these men who had killed their very husbands. In that way, they filled up the afflictions for Christ, of Christ for these people. They didn't add to it, but they demonstrated it in a very tangible way, and, and it genuinely moved their hearts as the Spirit applied this great work of salvation into their lives and praise God for doing so. And who knows if he may not do the very same thing in and through various sufferings that we might go through. We may not go through the, the kind of persecution where we will lay down our lives for the sake of Christ, but we might. We might also be called to lay down our lives in the every single day of life, in the normative, everyday kinds of ways as we serve others and open up our homes and lives and hearts to those who are far from Christ that they might know Christians and be welcomed into Christian community as we share our lives in the gospel with them. And we might suffer persecution because of it. And as we do so, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 12 says, For we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Man, death at work in us, but life at work in you. See, persecution is an example of the suffering that we choose. And not because we're masochists who like suffering, but because we are committed to following Christ more than our comfort. It's the suffering that we choose because it is worth it. It's worth the glory that God receives, and it's worth the life that God works in others because of it. Samantha and I talk about that often, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, of when we came back to Winnipeg a year and nine months ago. We did so knowing that if I got through the year 2021 without going to jail, it would be a good year. <laughs> and then when 2022 came and Bill C-4 was passed, I told Samantha, if we get through 2022 without me going to jail, it will be a good year. And we are 10 days away from me not going to jail this year. And I don't know what it will be next year, but I feel it'll be something else. And yet, as I look around at our church, I see the people who have become Christians as people in our church have shared their life in the gospel with others. As I see you suffering well for the glory of God, and I, I see what God is doing in and through our church in this season, it's worth it. It's worth every fear and anxiety of my heart, my wife's heart. It was worth us meeting illegally. It was worth us choosing conscience over what's more practical or easiest. It's worth it. Friends, our suffering is always worth it. And it's, it's a suffering that we choose as we follow Jesus. And it's worth it. It's worth the glory that God receives it's worth the life that God works in others because of it. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Basecamp. As we've just continued to be talking about the life of suffering in, that, we, that we walk through as Christians. Tomorrow will be our last episode uh, in this study. And 
I pray that it has been incredibly beneficial in your life, as I know it has been in mine, in thinking through these things and recounting and remembering God's faithfulness throughout the years. I want to thank as well the wonderful folks at Capitol Hill Baptist Church for their generosity in, in letting us use uh, some of the material and the bulk of today's, uh, today's study. And I pray it would continue to be helpful in our lives as a church, that we might suffer well for the glory of God, filling up the afflictions so that others might see the gospel in how we live. Thanks for tuning in.